Hey, it's Skywalker here. Thanks for joining us. Another episode of Freedom Fighters. I was going to talk about the state of denialers. Uh, Joe Biden called it the state of the union address. There's plenty to talk about. I wrote about it in this week's uh, Washington Times. You can see it online. But more specifically, I, I just was thinking about this today as we're learning more about the United States working with Iran closing on on restoring this nuclear deal that was negotiated under the Obama administration, which Donald Trump wisely, as president, got rid of. Uh, It's an absolute joke out there. But you look at that uh, happening at the same time as obviously we see the bloodshed in Ukraine. And and, and there's a pattern in here, you know, and I don't know that people are connecting the dots here. So in the latest episode, at least what we're learning from the press, is that the United States and Iranian officials um, are negotiating over this nuclear agreement, but they've cautioned one of the big issues still need to be resolved. Iran has been pushing for more sanctions relief if the nuclear deal is restored. In particular, they want the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, the IRGC, to be taken off of uh, the United States' most significant terror sanctions list. Wow. I mean, you you look at Iran, it's not just Israel. You, you look at, it, this is goes to the heart of the Sunni-Shiite dispute within the, uh, uh, within the Muslim world, within the Middle East. And what we've seen, particularly since Barack Obama and John Kerry and others were pushing this deal years ago during the Obama administration, there was this, you know, the, the enemy of my enemy is my friend type mindset. And you had a somewhat of a restoration of, uh, of, of a sense of peace in the Middle East because the common enemy wasn't Israel anymore. It was Iran. And, and you've seen uh, in this last year or two, we, we, we see the actions taken against Iran um, funneled and fueled uh, by uh, Iran is really pushing, uh, supporting you know, state-sponsored terrorism, Hezbollah, Hamas, uh, the actions taken against the Jewish people in, in Israel, so which happens to be the only democracy in the Middle East, Israel that is, and um, America's clear ally needs to continue to be our ally in the Middle East. All that's happening while the world, rightfully so, is paying attention to what's happening in Ukraine, but that's another example of, of it's just this pattern of abandoning our allies. The Ukraine years ago gave up their nuclear capacity in part because of a promise uh, from specific America, but from the Western uh, uh, countries that uh, that if we did, if they did that, uh, they in turn would be protected. Well, it's not happening. You, you could see what happened. I mean, you got Joe Biden, like he was in Afghanistan, so in over his head is uh, Secretary Gates obviously said years ago in his book, Joe Biden's been wrong in every major foreign policy decision over the past 40 years. Afghanistan and that absolute surrender, the joke of a withdrawal uh, that we had there was a prime example of that. But but it wasn't just a, a joke there. And, and uh, what it is, is this bigger pattern. You know, uh, I said this in the presidential debate in 2015, the very first one in Cleveland that August, that uh, Putin, in my mind, like Lenin before him, probes with bayonet. They probe with bayonets. If they find mush, they push. If they find steel, they stop. And uh, we know uh, decades ago under President Ronald Reagan, the old Soviet Union saw steel. They knew that 
you know, the president said it clearly at that time. President Reagan was asked what his policy was against the Soviet Union, what his strategy was going into negotiations. And he said, it's simple. We win, they lose. Uh, and he kept that mindset up and he rebuilt the military and he had a strong strategy and he believed in peace through strength. And in the end, America, under Ronald Reagan's leadership, won the Cold War without ever firing a shot. In contrast, we have this weakness that really opens the door to evil. Uh, we saw it with the Taliban and, you know, all this thought that, oh, you know, we're going to have all these diplomatic relations. No, nonsense. We see what's happened. We see them taking Afghanistan back to the Stone Age. We see that all the rights that Americans take for granted overwhelmingly are, are, are not in place in Afghanistan. We see, worst of all, that abandoning, uh, you know, all this equipment was left there. Americans, in some cases, American citizens themselves were left there. Certainly American allies were left there. What this does in the larger context, you add this all together. So Afghanistan, uh, people see around the world that in the end, when the people there needed our help, and not a lot. I mean, we could have easily kept a small um, group of about 2,500 uh, American service members basically providing uh, air cover support there for the Afghan military on the ground for all the talk about how they needed to defend themselves. They largely were. We were providing some air cover and support, but it had been 18, almost 19 months since an American service member had been killed in action in uh, Afghanistan. So this mindset that somehow we were, were stopping American bloodshed just wasn't didn't match up with the facts. But, but it's beyond that, and it's beyond just what's happening right now in these negotiations between Iran and the United States over the nuclear deal. It's beyond even just uh, the issue of what's happening in Ukraine, which, again, overwhelmingly we need to take action. The, the fact that, that you know, the president just thought it was a little excursion uh, by the Russians into Ukraine. It's a full-fledged war. It's an invasion. It's an attack. The leaders there gave up their nuclear capacity in return for believing that they'd be protected. They're not. I mean, this president and his administration weren't even ready to take swift actions to get uh, the, the penalize to sanction uh, the Russian Federation when it comes to the financial systems of the world. They still aren't fully engaging in sanctions against Russian oil and natural gas. One has to believe that um, the reason must be at least in part because they already have inflation in this country driving up fuel costs, prices at the pump, and they don't want to exacerbate that. Uh, but, but that seems like a pretty ridiculous uh, strategy, particularly when it wasn't that long ago, back still when Donald Trump was president of the United States, when we had a, a net uh, benefit. It was to our net benefit in terms of uh, exports versus imports when it came to oil. And yeah, there was a variety of different things in the mix, but we were a net exporter of American energy. We were not exclusively dependent on, on other places around the world. And there's no reason why we can't go back to that. But instead, you've got the White House press secretary and others out there making these ridiculous statements that somehow, oh, well, no, we, we can't go back to increasing American oil production because we've got this long-term plan uh, for dealing with the environment and this Green New Deal concept and, and all that comes with it. And, and yet here we sit with a dictator, Vladimir Putin, invading a country that, that gave up a big part of the defense capacity uh, because the United States gave them the assurance that they'd be protected. 
I worry in the larger context, something that hasn't, I don't think, I haven't seen it out there being connecting the dots is, yes, this November, I believe firmly that there'll be a surge of support for candidates, conservatives who will win back the House and maybe even the United States Senate. I believe that if things continue down this path, Joe Biden very well either won't run for re-election or, or won't be re-elected regardless. But you look at the long-term damage to the United States and our place in the world, um, it's almost uh, irreversible uh, in terms of the damage being done as we speak. Yes, uh, we can reverse some of the domestic changes. We can pull back on some of the uh, awful ideas for more federal spending, although that's always tough. Every time a program's added, it's more and more difficult to pull back on. But uh, we can reverse the tax increases and other things that would damage uh, the ability to create jobs and opportunities here in the United States. There are things that we can do, just like Ronald Reagan did after Jimmy Carter, just like Donald Trump did after Barack Obama, just like I did on a smaller scale in the state of Wisconsin, where we had more people working than ever before, eight years of balanced budgets, $13 billion worth of tax relief, and, and all sorts of other advances. We can do those sorts of things, but in terms of one of the benefits in the past was globally, um, we didn't have to be a policeman, we didn't have to be involved in everything, but, but there was a certain sense that the United States was a leader and that we could be trusted. And when you look at the people who risk their lives to be interpreters and, and in other ways assist uh, the United States military in Afghanistan, when you look at um, Europe and the decision that was made by Ukraine and Ukrainian officials to, to uh, get out of, uh, to back away from their nuclear capacity. When you look at Israel's place in the world and its dependence on uh, uh, an allied relationship with the United States, in each of these instances, it seems like Joe Biden and the Biden administration are, are just, I don't know if they're willfully doing this, but it's just through such a series of incompetence that they're sending this powerful message to the rest of the world that you can't depend on the United States. And that's something that, you know, there may have been variations of that or leading up to that, but there's nothing been as full scale as this, regardless of whether it's been a Republican or Democrat president in the past. Yeah, you, you certainly hear, you know, you think about how we got dragged into World War II and the belief that Churchill had that said, you know, sooner or later, the Americans, when all else fails, will do the right thing. But this isn't just a matter of getting pulled into a war or conflict. This is about keeping the commitments that we made going into things, not, not just coming in later to, to clean up for someone else, but to stick with the thing we promised. If I was in Taiwan right now, I, I'd be scared to death, uh, not only because of uh, what we've seen with Afghanistan, what we've seen with Iran and Israel, what we've seen Ukraine and Russia. Uh, certainly this idea, I think it goes full scale with China, which is made as, as compelling an argument. I don't agree with that argument, but they've been making this case for a lot longer than Russia has been making claim to Ukraine. Um, but that uh, the CCP clearly believes that Taiwan is part of the People's Republic of China. And I thought it was just a matter of time. I, I thought, realistically, they probably wait until after the Olympics were done so that there couldn't be even more intense, you know, diplomatic sanctions mean nothing. If you're not going to do anything about the athletes appearing there 
uh, it really undermines your ability to have true sanctions. And as much as people are right to pull out of uh, having uh, Russian athletes and Russian teams involved in various sporting activities, it still boggles my mind that that wasn't enough with what they're doing to the Uyghurs. I mean, they're literally holding people in detention camps uh, in, uh, in, in the Chinese uh, Communist Party world uh, that we see in China. And so if I was living in Taiwan today, I'd be worried because it seems pretty clear that uh, Xi Jinping and his band of cronies had been signaling for some time that they thought that Taiwan was rightfully under their control thought they'd wait till after the Olympics, which is where we're at now. I think they're looking for a little bit to see how the world responds to Russia going in Ukraine. But if Russia is successful, and if there are limited uh, ramifications uh, in terms of uh, what Putin and his allies have to deal with, uh, once they do get into Ukraine, I think it opens the door for China going into, into Taiwan. And that's a problem for all of us. I mean, freedom, to me, doesn't know boundaries. Certainly, we're proud that the United States was built on the concept of freedom for all the talk and crap about the 1619 Project and CRT and others. The reality is that Declaration of Independence, that document that was signed by our founders forming our country on July 4, 1776, that American idea was about the, the idea that, that all of us, every one of us, are created equal. That, that those rights uh, that we have are not rights given to us by the government, but rather from God and nature, uh, that they're not limited to, but obviously amongst them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness being the most important, but, but not limited to, to just those three. But those are things, because they're given to us by God, they're not exclusive to the United States. Certainly, we're unique in the sense that our country was founded so many decades, centuries ago. Now, when you look at it, uh, coming up on uh, our 250th anniversary, uh, not too far in the future, but, but when you think about that, they're not, because they're given to us by God and not the government, they're freedom. Freedom is not exclusive to the United States. We have been the champion for that. That doesn't mean we need to go into war. I'm not advocating uh, for us to play an active role in war, although, again, there's plenty of things we could be doing uh, to put pressure on Russia, as well as providing true support to the Ukrainian resistance, who in many ways reminds me of everything I've read or learned about when it comes to the Revolutionary War, to the patriots siding, uh, fighting on the side of freedom versus the British Army, which was largely a uh, overwhelmingly a paid um, army at the time, the most superior military force in the world, uh, I don't know that Russia is the most superior military force in the world, but it's certainly the odds are very similar in regard there. But just as it was for us, it was about freedom. I think it's for the Ukrainians very much about freedom as well. And for freedom-loving people around the world, whether you live in Taiwan, whether you live in Israel, the state of Israel, whether you live in Ukraine, or whether you're blessed to live here in the United States of America. As Ronald Reagan said, freedom is never more than one generation away from extension. You don't get it passed on to you in the bloodstream. It doesn't come from your DNA. It's ultimately something you have to stand up for and fight and defend and then pass on to the next generation to do exactly the same thing. Here's the hoping uh, that freedom prevails uh, in Ukraine and anywhere else in the world where there's freedom-loving people. Until next time, keep fighting for freedom. 